Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. We're on the Relay Podcasting Network and still excited to be there. Today, I am joined by Charlie and Fimka of the Design Life Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Hey, thanks for having us. Yay. Um, so I'm going to start my standard question with Charlie because you're first on my Skype screen. Charlie, who are you? <laughs> Well, I am a, I'm many things. I'm a designer, I'm a YouTuber, I'm a podcaster, a blogger. I run a little t-shirt company, many things. I, I like to keep myself busy. And also I'm from New Zealand, so that explains my accent. <laughs> and we'll also hear a similar a- accent from Fimka. Fimka, same question, who are you? Hi, I'm Femke, also a Kiwi, but living over in Amsterdam now. And I'm similar to Charlie in that I am many things. So I'm a designer, I'm a marketer, blogger, podcaster, et cetera, et cetera. So there's many, many titles. So I know, well, that I was going to say I know you, but that's not true. I know <laughs> of you from the Sean West community. Um, And I guess my disclaimer is my husband works for Sean McCabe, who owns Sean West. Um, And he's got like this community of entrepreneurs and business people who kind of come together. And so you two are both members and started your podcast. So one day we're in the car listening podcasts and this new one comes on. I'm like, Justin, what is this? And he's like, oh, just some (laughs) some podcasts that some people in the community are are doing. I thought we'd give it a listen. And it's one of my favorite podcasts now. Um, Aw, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, okay, so you two are really inspirational to me because I am... Um, I'm a person who would like to do side projects and we'll talk about that later, but I don't. Um, so I like, I feel like listening to you, I've kind of got a couple of mentors kind of like, I'm, I'm in that stage where you're still telling me that it's possible. And then like, eventually I'll actually be able to, uh, to take some of the, the advice that you're dispensing. But, um, let's start with what is design life and how did you two get started? Do you want to take this one, Fim? Yeah, so Design Life, as we say on the show, is a podcast for motivated creators. So they could be designers or they could be artists or writers, so people who are creative and working on side projects. And the aim of the show is not as such to preach what's right or wrong, but more to sort of share our learnings and our experiences along the way in the hope that we can inspire and motivate those that are listening. Yeah, it was really important to us for the podcast to be coming from people who are, I suppose, your equals. You know, we're still early on in our career and we felt like a lot of the design podcasts were, you know, people had been there, done that, and now they were sharing what they'd learned. We thought it could be quite valuable to share what we're learning, like as we're learning it. I like it um, because it makes it super accessible. I don't know. Sometimes you look at people like, and again, listeners, if you don't know Sean, I'll I'll put a link to some of like the stuff that he's done. But he's like a really incredible hand lettering artist on top of all of the other things he does. And so I look at his stuff and I'm like, I could never do that. Yeah, and, it's amazing. Right. And he, he's, he's great. He's just awesome. And um but the thing is, he wasn't always awesome, you know, and he's shared some of his early stuff that's still better than what I can do now. But <laughs> but he kind of shared that process. And I find that really, really inspirational. Yeah, I think it's easy to 
forget that everybody had to start somewhere. And especially with like the internet now and the ability to share your work, you know, everybody's sharing their best work because they want to be seen as as good at what they do. So you don't really get to see like all the hard work that got put in behind the scenes and the years of practice and refinement and all the failures along the way that they had to get through to get to where they are now. So that's kind of the premise of our show, I guess, is to uncover all those things and show our journey as we're doing it along the way. Yeah, and I think a podcast is a really great like a platform to talk about the process and like, you know, the way that you get things done. A lot of, you know, Twitter and Instagram, Dribble, you can share your finished pieces of work and maybe you can share like work in progress shots along the way, but talking about, you know, how you do things, I think is quite interesting because then you can, you know, really open up and be honest about what you're going through and, you know, how you created this thing and how you got there. Yeah. Um And so I thought it was interesting. Um, One of the first episodes that you did, you talked about one of the reasons you decided to start the podcast is also because you felt that women were not very represented in um, in design podcasts. Um, How motivating was that for you? Was it a big factor in starting it or did it just kind of inform kind of how you would approach things a little bit? I think it was a reason to start. Like we knew we wanted to make a podcast and then, you know, realizing that there's so few design podcasts out there who are hosted purely by women because there's some, you know, that have women co-hosts perhaps. But we thought, okay, well, if this is not out there, then that's even more reason why we should do it. Yeah. You know, surely there'll be someone out there who could benefit from this and we can, you know, do our bit to put our content out there and have the female voice shared. And I've actually recommended your podcast, like specifically because people have tweeted at me and said, or not even tweeted at me, like included less than or equal in conversations where people are asking specifically for design podcasts by women. And I'm like, hey, I got you covered. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we've been seeing that too. Yeah, people are, yeah. people are referring us based on people literally asking for podcasts that are hosted by women. And, you know, we've seen people being like, oh, you should check out, you know, Design Life. It's two female hosts. So that's super cool. I mean, I think people are, looking for that extra bit of diversity I mean it's nice to hear from the existing design podcasts out there but I don't know I feel like Charlie and I have an extra unique bit to add and especially being women I think the women designers out there like like to hear from us and like to have that diversity in there yeah you always want to listen to or watch content that you can relate to right like you want to be able to find someone who's a bit like you Mm -hmm. and I think that's why we wanted to put ours out there was to try and connect with those people. I think it's great. Um, Thank you. So side projects. Um, Why don't we talk about what side projects are? Because both of you are like, I don't know, you're some kind of royalty in the side project world. And as far as I'm concerned, because you have you're each spinning like several plates um, on on all of this, but like, let's talk about it. What is a side project? A side project is hustling, basically. <laughs> it's, it's doing something outside of what you spend most of your time doing. So maybe you have a day job or maybe you're 
a freelancer, a designer or something like that, and maybe you want to take on something on the side that could be a little bit different from what you do with the majority of your time. And so basically, if you're going to do a side project, you got to be hustling because it's something that you have to A, be very passionate about and B, be willing to give up your time to focus on that side project. Yeah, I'd also add that side projects are sometimes called passion projects because you really do have to be passionate about them to do them. You know, they're about having an idea and then allowing yourself the time to explore it. So you do have to be passionate about that to devote time that you could be sitting on the couch watching Netflix to working on a side project instead. (laughs) So... How do you approach, and this is something that you've talked about on Design Life, how do you approach starting side projects and what you say yes to? Does that make sense? I feel like that was poorly phrased. No, that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) I think side projects being all about ideas, you know, we've got so many ideas all the time and there's Mm -hmm. way more ideas than you physically have time to act on. So at some point you do have to work out which ones you're actually going to devote your time to. And I don't know, I guess I'm still learning which ones are actually worth doing and which which aren't because there is definitely some that I start and then I'm like, oh, I could have been doing something else. Dang it, you know, wasted that time. But it's never really a waste because, you know, you're still learning and exploring things. Yeah, I shared on a recent episode of ours that I have been struggling lately with prioritizing things. So I I feel like I'm quite good at focusing. So once I've like set my mind to something like committed, like I'm going to do this thing, then I'm pretty good at focusing on that. But the actual prioritizing and choosing which thing I want to do is really difficult because, I mean, as a creative, my mind is just like full of ideas and there's all these things I want to do. And I'm, I'm very good at having an idea and then just like wanting to do it without thinking through it fully. Like I just think, <laughs> oh yeah, that's such a good idea. Like I should just do it. Why not? And not really thinking through the potential consequences of it or planning it through. So prioritizing them is is hard. I mean, if you're passionate about so many things and you have limited time, how do you decide what to focus on? That can be really difficult. Yeah, I've found actually since moving to London that my commute time, because I have to commute an hour in the morning and then an hour in the evening just, you know, to get to and from work. And that is forced time that I cannot be on my laptop because, you know, the tube is packed and I you know can't get my laptop out on there. And that's like forced thinking time is how I've been using it. So to like plan through projects like in the notes app on my phone or just like thinking them through has been a really great way to try and evaluate which side projects to actually work on. In an odd way, I miss commuting. So we <laughs> uh, we used to have like a 45 minute drive to work and back every day if traffic was good. So kind of similar. Um, and it was a nice time to think. I mean, for the person who wasn't driving anyway, you know, but it it was just because it created not only like actual physical distance between work and whatever else, but it was also like thinking time or listening to podcast time or whatever, when like I could have all of these ideas on in the background and like, I just, I had more time to think about it because I wasn't trying to do Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as I work from home for my day job. So I don't have a commute either. And so breaking up working on side projects to working on my day job 
can be hard because they can totally overlap. I mean, I'm sitting at my laptop for both of those tasks. And so I sort of, I need to be careful not to literally spend my entire day at my desk without moving. So I try to break up the tasks that I have to do by like having some away time from the screen. And, And because I don't have a commute, I have to make that time to do that. And yeah, that can be hard sometimes. I think I found it quite surprising that I thought that I would absolutely hate commuting because I'm used to living in a fairly small city, Wellington, where both Femme and I used to live. It's fairly small as capital cities go. Like, I think it's like, what do you think, like 300,000 people or something? Something like that, maybe a little more. Yeah. And I lived like five minutes walk from work. So I was used to, you know, not having any commute time whatsoever, but using the commute to my advantage and using it as thinking time, planning time, writing time is working out quite well and it's making me, you know, not hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Although on the bright side, I do get to stay in my pajamas all day. So that's pretty cool. Yes, I am very (laughs) jealous of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about like ideas in planning a little bit. Um, Gosh, what goes into a side project? So you've got to have the idea. You have to brainstorm. You have to come up with things to execute. Um, and then you have to actually do things, right? So where I always get stuck, and I don't know if this is your experience, but I I get stuck on the execution phase. Um, like the podcast. I'm like, I should do a podcast. And Justin's like, yeah, you should do a podcast. And like, if he hadn't put a website together for me, the podcast would have never started. Yeah, I can totally relate on that. <laughs> well, sometimes we just need that extra bit of motivation from someone else or, or to be held accountable yeah. to someone or something else. I think that it's really easy to get stuck in the planning phase because you can sort of like procrastinate with planning, even though it might seem like you're technically moving forwards because, you know, you're making all these plans. But at some point you have to just start on something, you know? Yeah. So you, it, it is easy to get stuck in the planning phase. And how I get around that is by, you know, when I'm, you know, reach the end of the, like, the logical planning, then I start breaking down tasks into as smaller like bits as possible so that then there's no excuse for me not to start on one because it's tiny. Like recently I redesigned my website. So I've like completely refreshed it and built it myself and that was like a big learning curve for me because I've never really been taught code and I don't do it as part of my job so it's all like you know just stuff I've picked up along the way and that seemed like a really daunting task but I just wrote a list in Wonderlist you know that the to-do list app Mm -hmm. of all the things that I'd need to do to get this website done like not like do homepage it was like work out how to have an Instagram feed implement Instagram feed you know like little steps like that and then I could just slowly work through and tick them off and in the end I got there and you had a bunch of tick marks left behind to show your progress (laughs) yeah I did (laughs) which always feels good (laughs) and a few things that didn't actually get ticked off but I decided weren't necessary Mm. (laughs) well that's an interesting point too is like reevaluating. yeah as you're going. I also find that setting a date of when you're hoping to launch that side project is also really helpful. So in the case of Design Life, when we were launching the podcast, we did a couple practice episodes first to, you know, you want to see how it flows and, you know, if you can actually do it and pull it off. And then we decided on a date that we were going to launch. And not only did we decide on a date, we told people that 
we were launching on that date. So oh, no. We, yeah, so we put up like a landing page and people could sign up to be notified when we launch. And we tried to create like a bit of, you know, pre-launch hype for the couple of weeks leading up to it. And I think that really helped us because we had a goal to work to work towards, which was that date. And people were starting to get excited and tuning in and, and you feel accountable to those people because you don't want to let them down. So sometimes if, if necessary, setting a date, I think could also be a really good motivator. Yeah. Especially with personal projects, you know, that aren't set by a client or anyone else in particular. It's just something that you've decided you want to do. There's no reason for it to go up on any particular date. Really. You have to be the one to you know, make that plan and choose it. And telling people, like Fem said, worked out really well for us for the podcast because it definitely yeah. gave us the push at the end. Nice. Well, and I think too, um, and and this goes back to something that Sean talks about a lot is um, that I find that the the motivated people I know who are prone to passion projects or side projects are also perfectionists. And so they they try to get everything. So it's like just, just perfect in every way they can think of. And Sean talks a lot about a 90%. Like you get it to 90% because for, for people who are perfectionists, that 90% is going to be a lot better than, you know, the best work of the people who aren't. Um, so I find that kind of comforting too. And it's something that we've started saying in our house a lot is like, is it at 90%? Okay. Then you need to let go of it. That's what we say to each other too, right, Fem? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard though, especially being a creative and you want to be perfect because you want to put out perfect work. And I think it's something that I'm only now like starting to get comfortable with the 90% rule. Mm -hmm. I still want it to be perfect as much as possible, but trying to like let go and put up what I've achieved and what I'm happy with. And like Charlie said for her, her website that she just redid, I can make extra edits along the way. Like I don't want perfectionism to hold me back from ever putting anything out. I think that's just the worst to become like a closet creative where <laughs> you're like creating all this awesome work, but never putting it out because you're too shy or too scared that it's not good enough and you want to tweak it a bit more. And I started to have that problem with the redesign of my own website as well, actually, which I just relaunched a couple of weeks ago. And that project has been in the works for far too long. It took about six months when I was hoping for it to take like two. And that was because I was trying to be too perfect. And eventually I realized that, you know, this redesign where I'm at right now is so much better than what I already currently have. So why not ship it? It's going to perform better. So I may as well have something up that's performing better than what's currently up there. And so in the end, we launched it and I can slowly make those extra tweaks along the way. Yeah, that for me is a really hard thing to get over. I'm I'm a writer, so I, I don't really do visual so much, but putting stuff out there is really hard for me written stuff it's less so with the podcasts yeah and like not ruining it in pursuit of perfection because that's a thing that happens too at least for me where I'm like this isn't quite right I need to tweak the sentence and then it's like well the sentence doesn't fit the paragraph anymore and now I need to rewrite the whole thing and I read the rewrite the mm. whole thing and it's worse than it was to begin with 
and of course I don't have any versioning. So <laughs> I'm stuck with <laughs> no. the worst thing, you know? And so I don't know, is that something that you experience doing your design work too? Have you ever done that? I've definitely done that with design work. Luckily I tend to like make overly large files with saving different versions like every time I make a tiny change because I'm never confident in what I'm changing <laughs> you know so that's kind of lucky when it you turned out to I think what they call it is over designing mm, mm -hmm. so when you're focusing on it too much and you're overthinking things way too much and you start to think like you start to stray from the original reason why you started it so with design that's you know straying from the brief I suppose and that you're thinking more about exactly what this little, one little element looks like and the pixels of that without thinking of the bigger picture. So I think you have to step back and, you know, hold on, what's going on here? And, yeah. That's yourself. really hard. That's so hard. It's yeah. so hard. And it's like you don't realize you're in that position until it's too late, almost. Like, it's hard to know when you're on the road to over-designing something or, you know, overcooking something. Yeah. You don't realize until you're already there. I think I'd also add to not... Try not to underestimate imperfect work. If you're only putting out perfect work, then you're not creating a story and you're not creating a journey. So for me, when I look back on my work from even as little as a year ago, I can see straight away clearly how much progress I've made since then. So if we only put out perfect work, then I don't think we're creating an interesting story there. I get that with my vlogs all the time as well. So I vlog my life pretty much and post one almost every week. Every Tuesday a vlog goes up like of my previous week. And some weeks there's just not a whole lot happening for me to film. And I like I try my best to make creative little sequences throughout the day, that sort of thing. But when it comes time to edit it, it's just not what I was hoping it would be. And I put it live anyway. This happened a couple of weeks ago, actually, that I was really not happy with the vlog that I'd filmed, but I put it up because I knew that people like seeing just my everyday work, you know, like they just like seeing the normal stuff. And I got really good feedback on it. No one thought it was any different from any other vlog. So that was good and people enjoyed it. And so I didn't need to worry so much, but it, I think you're your own worst critic, right? I totally agree. I like thinking of it as telling a story too, that, you know, I don't know, the more, the longer I live, the more I realize that that's what life is. Life is a sequence of stories. Um, and so I like, I like incorporating creative work into that and, and your growth as part of your story. Yeah. I think that's really great. So one of the keys that I know you've talked about on your show to success with side projects, and I think kind of in general is that, um, you two both kind of started forcing yourself to get yourselves to get up earlier every day. Um, has that been like a boon to your productivity? And what tips do you have for people who want to start? Charlie, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, so I was a night owl, like through and through. I still love the evening times, like, you know, being up at 1am, just listening to music when it's dark. I just absolutely love that. But I did force myself to start trying the early morning working thing because I read so many articles of like 10 reasons why successful people wake up early and all that, <laughs> you know. And I thought, OK, if everyone's saying it, there must be a reason. And as you probably know, that Sean West's network always goes on about waking up early. You know, all the guys on there tend to do mm -hmm. that. So I thought, well, it's working well for them, so let's give it a shot. And I did, you know, like gradually eased into it, and it's worked out so well for me. I just honestly couldn't imagine anything else now. Like, I don't know how I used to get anything done. 
What about you, Fimka? Yeah, I find now that I get up early, I'm wanting to get up earlier. I th- <laughs> I'm starting to naturally wake up like half an hour before my early time, which I think is a sign of just having that hunger to make the most of my morning and be as productive as possible. So unlike Charlie, I've never really been a night person, uh, but I wouldn't have necessarily called myself a morning person either. I guess I'm just a day person. Uh, But getting up earlier for me has completely changed my workflow and I've been so much more productive since getting up early. And one of the things Charlie and I actually do is we record our podcasts early as well in the morning. Oh, no. <laughs> it's actually, it actually works out well for us. <laughs> yeah, much to my partner's disgust, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, poor Charlie, she's an hour earlier than me in terms of time zone. So for her, it's a bit <laughs> earlier than it is for me. But I don't know, it's, it's kind of nice to start your day that way. Like we have a really inspiring conversation every Wednesday morning and... I don't know, doing that first thing, just, I always enjoy my Wednesday. I always have a good day after having that inspiring conversation with Charlie. Yeah, I do too, Fem. And and I think that since waking up early, I've just found, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but I, I felt more like fulfilled with my life in general because I'm starting the day working on stuff that I want to be doing. And I feel like I'm like taking control of my life and, you know, doing things that I love and that are going to help me work towards my goals. And then I can enjoy my day job more because I'm not thinking about, oh, when I get home, I really want to work on this because I've just spent two hours doing it in the morning so I can, you know, give the day job more attention. And I think it's a really, and then I can have my evenings freer as well because I don't feel the need to work as much in them because I know I've got stuff done earlier in the day. So it's just win, 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 I suppose. Yeah, it gets rid of that sort of guilt feeling of of yeah. feeling like you've got more things to do or that you should be working instead of watching this TV show. But doing that work in the morning, I agree with Charlie, I feel much more focused throughout the day at my day job because I don't have to worry about all the things I have to do after work because I've already done them. So it's a super refreshing way to start the day and way like less stressful because I don't have to worry about all these looming things I have to do at the end of the day when I'm tired. So what does your morning routine look like? Or do you have a routine? We have quite different routines, I think. I was just going to say that. I think we're both quite (laughs) different in that way. (laughs) So Fimka, let's start with you. Yeah, so I get up and I shower. So when I first started getting up early, I would literally walk from my bed to my desk like a zombie in the dark and turn on the bright screen of my computer and try and like click away for like 10 minutes trying to get in the zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I realized that that wasn't really working for me. So instead, I decided, oh, let's see how I feel if I have a shower first. So I got up, I went straight to the shower, I I get dressed, like I put on actual clothes, I I don't stay in my pyjamas all day. Uh, And and then, then when I go and sit at my desk, like, yes, it's maybe 15 minutes later or so, but I feel way more refreshed and like my brain is awake and I'm ready to focus. And I find that that shower time also gives me like an extra 15 minutes to sort of plan and be like, mm-hmm. okay, so when I get to my desk, I've got this and this to do and this thing's due and this and this and whatever. So then when I get to my desk, I'm like ready to go. So that works really well for me. But I know that Charlie's quite different. <laughs> Yeah, I sort of, I set my alarm for 5am most days. Some days if I'm 
feeling a bit sleepy, maybe 5.15 or 5.30 if I'm, you know, really feeling like a sleep in. <laughs> and so when that alarm goes off, I then will convince myself to get out of bed after like five minutes of checking Twitter because I have not managed to break that habit yet, <laughs> even though I promised Femme that I would. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> so I basically roll out of bed, still in my pajamas and grab like my blanket over my shoulders and I go and stand at my desk because I have a standing desk at home. And I just get to work and that's where I stand for the next two hours or so. And then I get ready for my day and I try and be as quiet as possible because my partner does not wake up early. So I have to, yeah, let him sleep. And do you also get up early on the weekends or do you let yourself sleep in on the weekends? No, I definitely, in. definitely <laughs> sleep in. Yeah. <laughs> but what, but what I also is, think... Can- I, was, I think you're going to say the same thing I was, Femme, that what is a sleep-in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what I yeah. consider a sleep-in probably to another person is like, oh, that's my normal wake-up time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like if I set an alarm for maybe 8.30 on a Saturday, I'm like, oh, yeah, all those hours extra sleep. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I struggle to sleep past <laughs> eight in the weekends because my body is just in such that early rise routine and it's such a habit that it's it's hard to sleep in longer Yeah, you don't want to get too out of the habit either. You know, you don't want to ruin all the good work that you just did during the week getting up early. So yeah, yeah, I think you sort of train yourself after a while. Yeah, totally. It becomes much easier. People listening probably think we're so crazy and it probably sounds so insane. I was just thinking that, yeah. (laughs) But if you ease yourself into it, then eventually like your body will turn that into a habit. Like it will become part of your body's routine and it will get much easier to get up early. Honestly, if you told the me of several years ago that I would be waking up at 5am to go and edit videos or, you know, edit photos for a blog post or something, I would have laughed at you and just not believed it because I was the type of person who maybe would be going to bed at 5am instead. So Me too. Yeah, you know, things change. <laughs> yeah, and I find, okay, so listeners, our strategy in in our household was we actually had a trip to the East Coast in January. Um, so it was a two hour time difference. And I had to get up and go to meetings every day because it was a working trip. And so Justin got up with me and we decided that we'd basically stick to that routine two hours earlier at home. So you and forced yourself like cold <laughs> turkey. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but it was it was easier because like I had to get up. I had to go to the meetings or, you know, I'd lose my job. So I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'd better do this. And so then when we came home, it was like, oh, I don't have to adjust to the time now. We'll just get up at six and, you know, keep keep that natural rhythm going. And that actually worked really well. So if you have the luxury of going to just go on holiday for a week and then (laughs) but what I found so and we do we do six o'clock every day um because we found if we let ourselves sleep in on the weekend on the weekends that um we we don't get into the routine during the week. So we just set our alarm for six. And if one of us sleeps in we both sleep in. Like it's just It's hard to motivate yourself. I have the utmost respect for you getting up and, you know, working when your partner is snoozing away because I just I couldn't do it. (laughs) Um, But what I found is I actually feel like physically feel better. And I don't know if it's the routine of like I get up at this time every day and I go to bed by a certain time every night or if it's um, if it's just because I feel better because it's earlier in the day. Yeah, I think the same. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely agree that I feel better. I 
I wonder though if that's more because I feel like I've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Like getting up there early. I don't know. I guess every day I'm a little bit proud of myself that I did that <laughs> because I know that most people don't, right? So I guess it's that feeling of just knowing that you accomplished something that day and and being like proud of yourself for that. Yeah, I think so too because I definitely don't get as much sleep as I used to. You know, I haven't. You know, I probably should move my going to bed time back a lot earlier to wake up at five, but I. I only moved to like half the amount, so I'm probably getting averaging about like six hours of sleep a night, maybe seven if I'm lucky. And, you know, I think you're supposed to get more than that, but this is working out fine for me and I, you know, still feel great, I suppose, because I'm getting things done. Yeah, I def- and maybe that's the difference is you kind of catch up on sleep on the weekends, whereas I yeah. make sure that I'm getting... Like, I don't get eight hours of sleep a night, but I'm in bed for eight hours a night. So yeah. that might be where we're... We're making up the the differential too. Yeah, sounds like it. Do you find when you wake up early that you have like a list of things to start on? Because that's definitely what helps get me out of bed is knowing that I know what I need to do and my brain doesn't need to think about that. So I actually, um, I have some medications that I have to take up, take as soon as I wake up. And then I have 30 minutes before um, I... I can eat or drink or whatever. And so what I what I find myself doing is if I take my meds and then I get up immediately, I forget because I'm still sleepy and I'll like grab a cup of coffee, which is a no, no. Um, So I actually stay in bed for 30 minutes um, reading Twitter, like catching up on email or whatever. Um, And then I get up and take a shower, um, you know, get my coffee uh, feed the cats. And I, I actually start my work day because most of my coworkers are in the Eastern time zone. Um, so they're two to three hours ahead of me. And then I get done with my day by, um, anywhere between three and four thirty, depending upon what's going on. And then I have the whole evening since I don't have a commute. Um, so I can take like 30 minutes to kind of, you know, watch a quick 20 minute TV show or whatever to break up the day a little bit and then get started on um, emailing people about the podcast or, you know, whatever that happens to be. And it's working out pretty well for me because then I can ask questions at work or get the input I need at work when people are there instead of trying to do it on off hours. And then I have time in the evening to kind of step back and do my own thing. Yeah, that does sound good. That's really cool. I also work with people in a different time zone. So most of my team for my day job, this is uh, based in New Zealand. So if anybody knows a little bit about Earth, it's completely on the other side. <laughs> meaning that, <laughs> yeah, meaning that the time zone is literally opposite. So my 10 a.m. is their 10 p.m. So by default, we don't have any overlap unless one of us gives up our evening. So that can be hard sometimes in terms of side projects or like wanting to go to bed earlier on time because I need to get up at 6am where sometimes I'll have late night meetings that run quite late and so I kind of then need to make this decision of do I still get up at 6am and just be super groggy and tired or do I respect my body that I had to stay up late and work and like get an extra hour of sleep so I can still be focused the next day that can be hard. So how do you make that decision? It depends how tired I am at that point. So there's been a couple of times where I have had super late night meetings and I know that getting up at six is just a really dumb idea because I won't be able to focus. I think I'd rather have that focus time than like get up and just not really do anything. 
you know, I'd rather get that extra hour of sleep than just waste time thinking I'm being productive when I know I'm not mm-hmm. because I didn't get enough sleep the night before. So I think you really have to listen to your body as well and respect that sometimes you maybe do need that extra hour of sleep or so. So with all of the projects that you have with going to uh, with getting up early and going to bed, maybe not quite as early as maybe you should, um, but you still you're, you're working on projects in the morning and often in the evening, too. So when do you find time to socialize or to, you know, to take care of yourself or catch up on sleep or like have a night with Netflix? As nerdy as it sounds, I plan it. <laughs> And that's definitely going to cement in like your listeners' minds of how we're a little bit crazy with the things that we do. But I put in my to-do list when I'm going to be out for the evening. Like I go to a lot of concerts because coming from New Zealand, I'm a huge music lover and not many bands come play in New Zealand. So that was something that I definitely want to take advantage advantage of now that I live in London is going to as many shows as I can pretty much. So I'll put in my to-do list when I've got a show on and then I know that I can't do anything that evening and probably will be getting up like half an hour later the next day as well. So it just means I have to work harder to fit in stuff in that morning, you know, beforehand so that I can make sure I get it still done. What about you, Fimka? Yeah, I cheat sometimes in in that sometimes (laughs) I invite my friends over and we have a like side project session. (laughs) Oh, what a good idea. Yeah, so sometimes we have a friend over and we'll turn it into like a coding session and my partner and him will code and I'll sit there editing a podcast or something like that and we just have some snacks on the table. So it's a way to socialize and still be productive. I mean, I don't do that every time, obviously. I do like go out for dinners and go to the movies and things like that. But that's just one example of trying to blend the both of those together, especially if I've got a deadline of something, but I really want to see someone. And another example of that, I guess, is I go to a meetup here in Amsterdam, which is called uh, like web creators or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a meetup that is actually, I'm the only female that attends this. So it's a little bit sad, mm. but uh, it's a meetup where you can come and every time someone will like present their side project idea. And then after that, there's like two hours where you can work on your side project. So everybody brings their laptop along and it's really social. Like you get to meet the people there and chat and you know, see what everyone's working on and maybe there's an opportunity to collaborate. So while some people may may be listening to that and not see that as something social, for me that is a social opportunity because I get to go and meet other people, especially being still kind of new to Amsterdam. It's a way for me to make some friends and, and especially friends that are, you know, maybe doing similar things to me and we can have similar interests and and, and chats and things that we both are interested in. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I try and combine the two where I can, but I also do make time for like friends' birthdays or maybe inviting a friend over for dinner now and then. So it's not always all work. There's definitely some play in there. And I think that sort of socializing that you're talking about, Femme, is the way to meet the kind of people who have the same attitude as Mm -hmm. us, right? Totally. You know, if you go to a meetup where people are going to work on their side projects together, that's exactly the kind of people that you want to be meeting. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really motivating to hear what other people are working on, especially people who are like doing something completely different from me. Like maybe they, are, I don't know, have a like sewing side project or something, you know, like something completely different. It's always super interesting to, to hear about. That's why I always head along to the YouTube space in London has happy hours once a month and they have some other like workshops and like talks and things on as well that you can basically just RSVP and go along to if you've got a YouTube channel. So I always go along to them and meet great people who are also, you know, passionate about making videos online like I am. So it's a good way to meet new people in a new place. And I love things like that because there's such... Like it, it brings diversity to the way you think, which, as you can imagine, is something I'm pretty passionate about because like and it might not be like racial diversity or gender diversity, but you're talking with people who have different interests. Even, you know, you have a YouTube channel, but you can have a YouTube channel about anything practically. Yeah. And so and so you can start looking at what they're doing and be like, hey, you know, that's that's maybe not exactly what I'm doing, but I can incorporate this piece of what they're doing. And that's really yeah, totally. I think that's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, I've even collaborated with uh, some YouTubers that way, you know, who don't really do the similar thing to me, but we've found a way to make videos together. Like I have a friend who's a videographer and photographer. That's what he does for a living. And, you know, that's sort of what he makes videos about. Or he'll make videos filming, you know, acoustic sessions of bands, which, you know, I don't make videos like that. But we did one on my channel where he gave some photography tips to my audience, which is perfect because we angled it around taking photographs of your work to put in a portfolio. And that's exactly what people would be watching my channel for. So we found a way to, you know, combine our two skills, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. When you work on my, when you work on side projects as much as Charlie and I do, eventually your friend circle becomes people who do the same actually (laughs) so you can kind of like geek out about the same things and like if I say to a friend like oh sorry I have to go home because I have to publish my blog post they're like oh yeah we get it you know like (laughs) they're not like silently judging you like why does she have to go home to publish on her blog who's even reading that or whatever you know so I don't know it's it's about who you position yourself around as well like you want to have a supportive network around you that supports what you're doing. So that's really important. So I wanted to ask both of you, you, you both grew up in New Zealand and now you're both halfway around the world. Yeah. Um, Different places, but yeah. yeah, So um, if you are comfortable sharing the stories of how you ended up uprooting I guess um and moving and what that's been like and kind of I don't know like what your coping strategies have been like um because that's something I know a lot of people do I moved I don't know I moved 10 hours away from home um but I've never done like a huge move like that and it sounds um to me because I'm very uh risk averse and (laughs) And I don't like change. And so I don't know. It sounds it sounds extremely frightening to me. So talk to me about that. Well, moving is a scary thing. But like you just said, you could move five hours away from home. But moving literally to the other side of the world is a completely different story. Mm -hmm. I can't just like go and visit my family for the weekend or like even going to visit them once a year is not always going to be an option because it's so far and it's so expensive to get to. So it can be hard when your family is that 
not only that far away actually, but also in a completely different time zone that's quite hard to coordinate with. I can't spontaneously send my mum a text in the day because she won't get it for another eight hours or whatever. So it can be difficult to keep in touch with people. It's definitely something that you have to put some effort into. But in terms of why I moved, I guess, I don't know if anybody listening has been to New Zealand before. If you haven't, you should check it out if you get the opportunity. But uh, it's very isolated and because of that, it's quite expensive and it's pretty small. So opportunities there are somewhat limited. And I'd always been someone who has wanted to live overseas. My parents actually immigrated to New Zealand from the Netherlands. So that's also ties into the reason why I came to the Netherlands is because I have a passport and I have extended family here. So Mm. it was kind of like going to a place where I sort of already had a support network there. I wasn't completely going to a random strange country Mm -hmm. all by myself. Uh, So that was kind of the reason for choosing the Netherlands as a destination. But I was really looking for a new challenge, really. And I wanted to see a bit more of the world. And doing that from New Zealand is expensive. But once you're in Europe, it's so cheap to travel to places and it's very quick as well. You can get to a lot of European cities within two hours from Amsterdam. So I don't know, I kind of see it as like a big life experience really in terms of being able to see more of the world and have some new exciting challenges. My story is kind of similar to yours, Femme, in that I think – The idea of wanting to move overseas was like ingrained in me from very young. My family moved to Brunei, which is in Asia, and it's a very small country and not many people have heard of it even. It's about the size of a pinprick on a map. Mm -hmm. And we moved over there when I was five years old. And so I grew up there, spent my primary school years there, moved back to New Zealand when I was just before I turned 11, I think it was. And so we traveled a lot throughout that time because we could just drive to a, a different country in Asia, you know, in the school holidays. So I sort of grew up with a lot of traveling and just, I suppose it was just always in my blood that I wanted to do more travel. And that's why I wanted to move overseas was like Femme said, because Europe was so close. But also I just felt a little bit like I'd seen and done Wellington, which was not actually my hometown. I come from an even smaller town in New Zealand called Nelson, which has about 40,000 people. And I felt like I'd, you know, lived Wellington enough. I'd been there for about seven years, I think, by the end when I moved. And I wanted to try something new. And I don't know, I don't think of myself as a very like risk taking person, but I suppose I am in that way that I just wanted something new. And like, I like moving into new flats and things. I like moving around in that way, visiting new places. So yeah, moving just made sense for me. It was always something I wanted to do. And I made the move easier by bringing along my little sister with me. Oh, you cheated. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I pretty much, I I wouldn't say forced because obviously she came willingly, but it was my idea for us to move and she came along with me, which I'm really happy about because that's meant, you know, having, you know, a built-in best friend living with me over here has made it a lot easier. 
Yeah. I, so I grew up in a really, really tiny town, like 600 people. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's so small. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very, very, very small. But, you know, the problem with growing up in the Western U.S. is there is nowhere to go. Like anywhere you go, you're probably still going to be in the U.S. unless you fly for, I don't know, I think it's like 18 hours to Australia. You know, it's it's ridiculous. So um I have uh, friends in the Netherlands and friends in Germany and they're like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go to London for, you know, like three days. And I'm like, yeah. oh, stop. So, <laughs> yeah, stop. Why are you telling me to stop? That's exactly how we felt being in New Zealand, which is yeah. like twice the distance than the States is from Europe. So, yeah, yeah we feel yeah. I, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Well, we are at, I don't know, about 50 minutes now. Um was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? No, not in particular. I just hope that people who have listened to this are inspired by our story. Yeah, or at least maybe like intrigued by it or something. I don't know. Don't just write us off as these weird people who wake up super early to <laughs> do stuff that they're making themselves do. <laughs> well, like I said at the beginning, I think, I don't know. I think it's super inspirational. I'm not in the design space. I'm not, you know, we do, I don't know. We're, we're all creative. I think everybody's creative yeah. in their own way. But I just think it's really inspiring to, you know, like I said, to hear how you're doing things and the things that you're learning as you go. And it kind of gives me ideas for what I could do differently and incorporate into, you know, the things that I try out. And um, I don't know, I just really appreciate that you're you're sharing all of it because it's fun and um, maybe not for you all the time, but it's fun for me to listen and, and kind of learn from you, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it does make sense. And I do think I do think it's fun. Like, I really enjoy my side projects. And they're, I think, what makes me love my life so much is that I can spend time doing exactly what I want to be doing. You know, you see a lot of people, you know, on Facebook or whatever, who I went to high school with or something complaining about their job. And, you know, they're not enjoying themselves and they're living for the weekend. And that's just not how I want to live. You know, I yeah. don't want to be a person who hates Mondays. And yeah. I just want to enjoy life. So doing side projects is my way of enjoying life, I guess. Well, um, Charlie, will you tell people how uh, they can find Design Life? Yeah, you can head to designlife.fm, as in the radio frequency, because with that accent, sometimes I worry that people can't understand it. <laughs> That's our website where you'll find all of our episodes and contact form and links to our Twitter account and things where you can reach out and chat to us about these things some more if you're interested. We'd love to hear from you. And do you have any personal websites or social media accounts you'd like to plug? Yeah, you can head to my newly redesigned charliemarie.com and Charlie is spelled without an E. And there you can find all of my content that I create online as well as links to all of my social media and things as well. And how can people find you, Fimka? You can go to theapartment.co, which is my freelance design business. And from there, you'll find me on Instagram. And my Twitter is at FemkaSVS. And that's probably the place that I'm most active. So if people want to get in touch with me, just drop me a tweet. That's the best way. And you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm slash LTOE and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, if you leave a rating or review on iTunes, that'd be wonderful because that's how people find the show and that's how they know it's a good show to listen to. 
Thanks for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.